Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. My name is Jennifer Apple. And this week I talked to EDI consultant Kira Troilo. Now I know so many of us refer to the equity, diversity and inclusion work as DEI. So Kira breaks down why she believes the E, equity, is a really wonderful way to start first in order to create systems that support from that perspective and then value diversity and inclusion. We unpack the various aspects of EDI, the challenges faced specifically in theater companies, and generally the need to address implicit biases and make space for difficult conversations in order to begin building bridges and fostering forgiveness in a very polarized culture in which we live. As always, we offer practical insights and tools on how to implement EDI practices, starting from the initial show selection to casting to rehearsal spaces, and we share the necessity for listening, to use and in order to hold multiple truths simultaneously. While this conversation is a must listen for anyone creating art in collaborative spaces, I also feel it is a really important one to listen to as human beings living on this planet. We discuss the necessity for open and constructive conversations in order to drive meaningful change in theater, the arts, and the world. Enjoy. Kira Troilo, hi. Hi, Jennifer Apple. <laughs> we got the full name. I yes. I'm trying to think the last time somebody did that to me. It hasn't, it hasn't been recent, if that's the case. So <laughs> your, your home space seems so vibrant. We love all the colors. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm so excited that you're in this space. For anybody who does not know you, who are you today? Good question. Um, yes, my home space is vibrant. I have the yellow chair to just remind me, you know. I know. It's uh, it. sunny, sunny for my uh, my life. Um, <laughs> today, oof, uh, I'm going to answer that more in the, the today season of my life um, yeah. because I have been a lot of things. Um, you know, I've been an actor. I've been a choreographer. I've been a director. Um, I've been a, you know, a, a manager of an online company. But um, today, I'm very proudly choosing to be uh, an EDI consultant, you know, uh, um, I keep calling myself an accidental entrepreneur uh, and a very proud mom and uh, wife. Uh, and the yeah, most adorable kid like ever. Oh, thank you. Like truly the most adorable kid. I mean, I'm biased. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> but also, say. you know, considering I'm biased to working now with your husband, um, your family is kind of like the perfect little family from the outside. I imagine things aren't always the same oh. from the inside, but it's like actually unfair. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. Um, yeah. Nothing, <laughs> nothing is perfect on the inside, but I am very yeah. lucky. I'm very blessed. Um, yes. Have a wonderful husband who's also an actor. So he gets it all. And uh, yeah, my son is uh, Levi. He's five and a half. Um, and I, you know, I say frequently, I know we'll get into what I do, but uh, he yeah. is the best teacher um in you know grace and patience and kindness and all of that so yes i'm very very lucky for anybody who doesn't know what an edi consultant is what is it at face value yes um so an edi consultant edi stands for equity diversity and inclusion um i am an edi consultant specifically for theater and the arts 
Um, so I look at the systems uh, there that are, you know, enormously different from corporate settings. Mm-hmm. Um, I also use the acronym EDI very intentionally. I know this work is probably more more commonly at this point called DEI, mm-hmm. um, but that is changing um, across the industry, I think, and with good reason. Um, yeah. I wrote a whole article about this, but uh, very intentionally, I like E first um, because when we look at DEI work, I think most people think, oh, it's diversity work. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Um, I think, you know, more specifically, people think it's racial diversity work. Right. Uh, again, true, but not all of it. Um, so uh, with an equity first model, it's really about making systems that support and value to the diversity in the room, um, you know, in any specific room or the room at large in theater. Um, so, you know, what I've come up with is E, equity first, you know, considers the diversity in the room. And that equals inclusion when we can create systems that work for everybody. Yeah. It's so interesting that you refer to it as EDI and not DEI in that the first time I encountered this work as like a way to actually forge change and, and use certain processes was actually with EDI. I was introduced to it as EDI and I kept saying that. And then I would meet people who would say DEI. And we had to kind of be like, wait, we're saying the same thing, we think. And then I have started saying DEI because it seemed to be more of the vernacular that's used just semantically. But it was actually my first intro into it. And that was when I was in grad school in San Francisco. So I wonder if, I don't know if it's like an East Coast, West Coast variation. Um, But once I came back to New York, that was a very specific shift that I remember having to do like with the verbiage. Um, Wow. And I, I, yeah. And I hear that totally as like the framework that the equity part, you know, the the beautiful meme of like the boy on the the two little boys and the boxes. The boxes I use, I show it every first day. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's a Googleable image, friends. If you just literally search EDI and like boy (laughs) in box, it will pop up immediately. And it's, you know, yeah, you have two kids who are of different heights. And instead of giving them the same exact box, you give them boxes that are different sizes so that they can be at the same level of height. And that is ultimately, I think, you know, like a very watered down version of like equity. Um, But yeah, to start with that, then you have a way that we can finally all communicate because we're all at the same playing field. Exactly. Trying to be at least. Exactly. And that's that's what I say. There's also, if you're Googling while you're at it, there's another uh, version of that image that has the boy in the wheelchair as the first Mm -hmm. one. So like that boy in the wheelchair can't even stand on the first box. So there's it's a starting point for how we can look at the work of equity. Um, But what I say to people, because people, you know, have a lot of um, preconceived notions about equity and equality and all of it, What I say is that equity just acknowledges that we all have a different starting line. And as, you know, theaters, as arts organizations, when we're looking to be equitable, we want to give people the tools that they need for the opportunity to succeed at the same level. So we can't guarantee that people succeed at the same level, but we want to give them the tools to be able to access that same um, level of um, support and success. Um, So that's kind of where I start every room I go in. I love that. How did you decide or what made you decide to make this pivot? How did you come to this work? It's a wild 
tail that really is uh, lifelong, you know, yeah. um, I, this is, you know, a 45 minute podcast, so I'm going to simplify. We could have a little longer, you I know. I mean, you know, <laughs> I talk, yeah, you, if you know me, I talk forever about this. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, just briefly going back, you know, I think um, I have been, uh, I, I think my life has been preparing me to kind of figure this out. Um, and I will talk about the figuring it out, but um, I'm a black biracial woman. Um, I, um, you know, have a, a black dad. Um, I have a white mom who passed away when I was young. Um, so, oh, thank you. I'm writing a book about it. Um, so Aww. more to come. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so and then, um, you know, my amazing, you know, best friend, stepmom came into my life when I was young and she's black. So I always say, you know, I'm a black biracial woman who was raised in a black household in a white hometown. Um, mm. Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. Shout out. Um, that's where I actually met my husband, Jared. Um, so we're both from Shrewsbury. Um, but I basically grew up in the in-between. Um, I grew up kind of navigating spaces, not feeling like I really fully belonged anywhere. Um, yeah. And you know, I did that my whole childhood. I did that going into college. I did it as I, you know, entered the acting world. Um, I started, you know, my um, career kind of in theater in Boston um, about 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, interestingly, when I was in school, I kind of played, you know, I, I was in the hot box in Guys and Dolls. I was, you know, uh, Lucy and Jekyll and Hyde. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't play any race-specific roles, really, when I was a, a kid. But when I got to Boston, all I did was play the Black roles. Um, mm -hmm. And really, it was interesting to all of a sudden be seen as a member of the Black community and then have all these expectations on me of what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and my, um, my voice is, you know, I, I, I belt, I can do soprano, but like I don't have that stereotypical Black voice. So I was mm. continually, um, you know, in my journey as an actor, kind of navigating like who I am and what roles I'm getting called in for and why. Um, so then we get to 2020 and, you know, that uh, means something, I think, for everyone, what that time meant for people. Um, for me, um, I had a two-year-old at home. Um, we know we were stuck here with no theater. Um, and I just had a chance to really stop and, and reassess and, like, reevaluate mm -hmm. what I was doing and why. Um, and that led to me starting a blog um, called biracialmom.com, if you want to check it out. Um, but I started just writing about my experiences being like a biracial performer and what did it mean, you know, for me to be in West Side Story and I'm not um, Latina, you know, like what did it mean mm -hmm. to be in the color purple and I was the lightest skinned one there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and along with writing the blog, I was angry like everyone else watching the news and, um, you know, just feeling like I was screaming into a void on social media yeah. and not knowing what I could do. Um, and then I had this conversation with my husband, Jared, who is white and Jewish. And he, you know, in a moment of, you know, what was kind of heated and me just saying how frustrated I was um, and didn't didn't know what I could do. And Jared really, <laughs> he wants to credit himself with the foundation, which he cannot take. But um, he did. <laughs> but he did ask me the question which started this company, which was, what do you want us to do? And I think by us, he meant, you know, people who are not Black. Um, mm -hmm. 
because people were angry, um, rightfully so, and I was angry. But that was the question that really stuck with me is like, what do you want us to do? Um, mm -hmm. So I decided to dive into that question. Um, I started doing equity, diversity, inclusion, like certificate programs and reading and, and really trying to, you know, dive into like, how can I make a difference with the tools that I have? And I found in that research, there was nothing, there was nothing there to prepare me to do this work in theater and the arts. Um, I started freelancing and what that meant at the time and, you know, 2021 was putting out fires, you know, companies going through something and needing someone to go in and, and help. Um, so all of that kind of put together, um, you know, in combination with the fact that I didn't really want to be at my full-time job anymore, um, led me in the summer of 2022 to just quit my job and start my company. Yes. Yeah. I sent, I think I sent 40 emails to people I'd worked with in the past and just said, hi, um, I think there's this huge void in our industry. I think I have an idea of how to fill it. And um, would you, you know, hire me to kind of learn on the job as I go? Um, and I'm very grateful. Um, a lot of companies just said, yep, let's do this. Um, Amazing. And here I am in year two. I have uh, yeah, done a lot since then. But yeah, I, I have a very solid um, goal now, you know, short term and long term. Um, but I'm yeah. just trying to prove that this work belongs in every theater space, every art space. Yeah. Well, congratulations um, on you. this huge pivot and embracing a calling despite it perhaps feeling a little bit nebulous and like intangible <laughs> and um, theoretical. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, clearly when there's a need and, and somebody is trying to be the filler for it, and in this case, that is you and your work, um, it will naturally happen organically. And that's a really wonderful thing. Yeah. I'm curious when you are hired, what exactly is your process? Do you have an institution that is like, cool, this is the show that we're doing, or this is what we are, and we are, we've are we noticed that this is the gap and this is what you're filling? Is it more like you come in and you're like, cool, I'm just going to do this and treat it the same that I do with the all the things? Is it um, cool, I'm going to meet all your people, feel what it is demographically and also with the project that you're doing and then um, navigate accordingly? Is it I've mm -hmm. only been given an hour and I have to do this or I've only been, <laughs> you know, now I have 17 hours and therefore I have more time? Like what is your process? And I imagine it changes, but I'm just, you know, here we are. <laughs> yes, yes, frequently. Um, yes. Yeah, so I will say um, I do you know, I do offer a variety of services because my work looks um, long-term to making sure that arts organizations and like our system at large changes over time. Um, so yeah. I do coaching with organizations. I do um, EDI audits where I help clients like walk through their organization and, and talk to people around the organization and kind of give them like a roadmap of um, mm -hmm. what they can do um, with this work in a meaningful way. So I have, and I have workshops that I do. So I, I have those kinds of services, but like what I think you're asking about and like what I'd like to talk about is work when I work on a show. Um, yeah. So when I, I think that's the difference here is um, one of the major things I see in theater and the arts is theater companies at large may be doing some EDI or DEI work, um, but that rarely reaches the artists and the, you know, crew and the designers. Um, it, rarely, it rarely gets to the rehearsal room. Um, so, you know, 
my goal there is to, you know, I'll, I'll come in as early as the theater will have me because, you know, yeah. uh, the process truly starts with show selection. Mm -hmm. Um, so what shows are, can we do right now, um, that, you know, some of them are meaningful and timely, some shows it's like, mm, maybe not the best time, you know, to do it. Yeah. Um, and then we get into casting. So again, right. like I can advise and consult when it comes to, okay, we're going to cast, um, you know, I don't know, or, you know, can we cast a black woman as Maria in West Side Story? You know, like mm -hmm. some theaters make choices, you know, early in the process. And then I have to come in kind of either help justify, you know, the choice or tell them, you know, it's not going to work um, mm -hmm. for whatever reasons. Um, so if I've worked with a theater ahead of time, I'll do that work. Um, if I'm going straight into the room, um, you know, I try to talk to the director and stage manager ahead of time. Um, you know, those are people who, uh, you know, they do have some support from the organization, but really those are leaders who are in charge of holding a room of people. And yeah. at this moment in time, you know, directors and stage managers are holding rooms of people who are traumatized from yes. uh, a lot of things, you know, COVID, mm -hmm. um, you know, like we're still, you know, in some places it's like we, we want to act like we're back to normal, but there is no back to normal. You know, we're all in this new place. Um, and yeah. So anyway, I really try to talk to those um, people about um, leading with humanity and grace and making space for people and setting expectations in advance. Um, mm -hmm. So people really feel like they have like a solid place to walk into um, on that first mm -hmm. day of rehearsals. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, it depends. I, I read scripts. I look at cast lists. I try to get ahead of what are, what are the considerations we need here? Um, yeah. You know, if I do a show that's heavy on racial trauma, it's like, okay, well, we need to maybe sit at the table for two days and talk about this so the actors feel secure in saying, you know, racial slurs um, mm -hmm. and that we have systems set up for those actors to check in before that and to check out after that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a lot of it is similar to like intimacy work, but it's yeah. bigger and broader and involves even just conversations. Um, yeah. So the work is different to answer your question in yeah. every room, but I will always start out by setting uh, kind of room guidelines with people. Um, and I was, I know you were, you were in one of my sessions. I was fortunate was. enough to have you. Um, but I really try to, um, you know, encourage people to think about how we all just come from different places and we all are carrying different backpacks full of different traumas from our industry. Um, mm -hmm. And we have to acknowledge that before we like just dive in and start doing a play. We have to kind of look at yeah. each other as humans and say, how do we want to, how do we want to feel in this room? How do we want to um, react when we disagree? Um, what are some tools we can use when we yeah. need a minute? Um, so I really just getting granular there on setting up an environment like, you know, in a corporate world, like HR would give you this packet and you'd have like kind of a training and onboarding in theater. Mm -hmm. We just start reading a play on day one. So I try to, you know, take that 30 minutes, you know, to an hour, however long I'm given um, to do that. Um, and then my work really just goes from there. I make personal relationships with people who need support. Um, I check in with a process. Um, I'm there for difficult 
scene work, again, especially if it has to do with someone's identity, like if it's an mm -hmm. identity based trauma piece. Um, and then, you know, I'll go in during tech, which, you know, like, I think everyone on your podcast knows what tech is. It's like <laughs> the time in the rehearsal process where everyone loses their mind. Um, or well, we hope not, but sure. <laughs> we hope not. But in my experience, yes, yes I'm very busy. Stressors are high. That's, yes. You know, to say the least. Right. I always say like the enemies of EDI are being in a time crunch, wearing mm -hmm. too many hats and feeling activated. And the, like yeah. all three of those things are basically tech. Um, yeah. So, you know, I just really try to be the person holding the room. I try to be the person who's only thinking about humanity in a room where everyone has a job and there is no one has the job to care for the humans in the space. Um, and yeah. that's really what my work ends up being about um, yeah. in the room. So much to unpack. Thank you for <laughs> going through that. Yes. I know that was also just like a very, you know, rundown version of actually what the work is. Yes. I am curious when you talk about humanity, what are you meaning? Yes. Um, I mean, in this case, you know, I come from an acting background too. Um, so, you know, especially being black, you know, and I'm, I'm approaching roles um, that are about um, racism, you know, or dealing, dealing with racial trauma. I'm accessing my identity, my own personal identity as Kira to play this role on stage. Um, and I think we all know that as actors, like we all know we have to access things within ourselves. Um, but I don't know, you know, like I, I haven't seen much in terms of like the long term impact on people having to do that night after night. Um, mm -hmm. And then, of course, you know, in some shows, especially here in Boston, you know, we'll do we'll do shows about racial trauma for entirely white audiences. Right. Um, and, you know, the theater is like, great, we did this awesome black show. You know, everyone loves it. We see the again, the diversity first. But what mm -hmm. are the systems behind that? Like, what are we doing to, to care for those artists behind the scenes? Yeah. Who is behind the scenes? Are there any actors of color behind the scenes or, or you know, people on staff or um, consultants, you know, it's kind of like, right. so when I, when I talk about humanity, I think it's just looking at everyone as a person first, as a human first, before mm -hmm. the job, before the like social media praise, um, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, let's, let's take care of people first. Our, our industry is so quick and rushed and there's no time and, you know, no resources that, that it easily forgotten about. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I I come to question often about this industry and frankly the world yeah. at the moment specifically mm. um, is this idea of really seeing people and their humanity and how it's in some ways become this like buzzword of like, but I see humanity and it's like <laughs> actually though, we all, every single one of us have biases. Yes. We do. We have biases. Yep. And it's very hard to admit that to ourselves because then it calls into question the things that we have done and the harm that we have caused and the things that we potentially will do and the harm that we potentially will cause. Like it's very hard to put the mirror back on oneself and be like, huh, I am flawed. 
Yes. Like, oh my goodness. You know, yes. And, just, and saying to like, and acknowledging that, that, that we are coming from a place of, I'm going to call it like deficit in mm. that, like this industry specifically, if this is what we're talking about, is founded in a white supremacist culture. Like right. that is what it is. Yes. And people benefit from that and people don't benefit from that. Right. And therefore, like how, I guess from your experience thus far, how do you recommend? How are we as as varied humans supposed to put our biases aside or acknowledge our I don't I don't even know if there's like a better mm -hmm. word for biases, but like I'm gonna mm. use that word for now. But like yeah. bias, you know, ingrained whatever we feel like how are we, if we don't even know it's there or if we do know it's there, how do we not use it as like a a tactic? Like what how do we how do we actually all in an ideal world, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done before oh, that, but yeah. in an ideal world, how do we get to that point of actually seeing people with full humanity in spite of and despite all of our own ingrained biases? Yes. Ooh, big question. Um, I know. And That's where I go. <laughs> yeah, but it is, but it is the, it is like the crux of this work. Um, I think that the number one, um, Thing in my way as an EDI consultant is people just being afraid of saying the wrong thing, of being called yeah. a racist, of being labeled with those things, um, which is why, you know, I have a workshop that's called, um, I'm just, you know, rolling it out really, but like called um, yes. Who Tells What Stories? Interrogating the Implicit Bias of Theater. Um, and at, yes, and at large and in theater, we all need to start by saying we all have implicit bias. And I say implicit over unconscious because um, unconscious implies that we can't do anything about it, that it's like we're mm -hmm. not thinking, you know. And love that reframe. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I, you know, words matter, you know, like word order mm -hmm. clearly matters to me. Um, but like implicit bias. So, you know, the the spark notes of that workshop I teach is that we need to first acknowledge it. So that means every single one of us acknowledging that we came up in a system that taught us certain things and we all have that bias. Mm -hmm. Only when we acknowledge it can we interact with it and mm -hmm. then challenge it. So those right. are kind of like those three takeaways. It's like we have to acknowledge that, okay, we want to see, um, you know, what kind of actor do we see in the role of um, – you know, I was, I don't know what West Side Story is on my mind today, but like, you know, who do we want to see as Tony in West Side Story? What does he look like when you just imagine? Um, and does he have to look like that and why? Um, so, you know, again, acknowledge, uh, interact, and then challenge. Um, yeah. So there's that. The other major thing in our way um, in terms of seeing humanity and like interacting with humanity is that we're so... Ooh, we're so polarized um, and we're so angry and defensive. And I know those are generalizations, but, you know, I've been even in just the short term, short time doing this work. Um, that's what gets in the way. People expecting to be harmed and people afraid to, to be pitted with the fact that they harmed. Um, yeah. So Art and Soul Consulting, my business is really um, like the, the word is bridge building. You know, like it's about bridge building. It's about the and and the nuance mm -hmm. of the work because we can't just tell people 
hey, you're acting from a place of bias without giving the person who's acting that way the tools to succeed next time. So yeah. I say, you know, like one of the things I did was work with an actor who was being misgendered um, and the effect that that had on them and how to navigate, you know, this role that they were doing. But I also coached the person who misgendered them. And mm -hmm. we, we, we were on Zoom working on pronouns for over half an hour, just talking on really definitive ways that that actor could not harm the other one because he didn't want to. He cared. He just needed some guidance and grace and coaching. Um, yeah. Now, again, this is part of the reason why I do this work in theater, because I don't think I could go to like Florida and do this work, <laughs> um, you know, but like when we're all thrown into a theatrical environment, um, we can't expect to just condemn the people who are, you know, quote unquote, causing the harm. Um, we need to build bridges so that we can work together and that we can talk yeah. and we can we can only really engage with each other's humanity when we build that trust. Um, and in art spaces, we just don't have a lot of time. So I go heavy yeah. on the trust, you know, right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's my love, shortest answer. I love this. No, it's great. Okay. I mean, look, we're not going to solve all of the things in, I'm going to call it an hour. We're not? You know, <laughs> great. I know, surprise. I wish we could. Um, but I think, you know, even just mentioning a lot of these words, which hold meaning, or different, you know, frameworks to think about interacting in this. Like I love, I'm going to give you an acronym of the AIC, you know, of acknowledge, interact, and challenge. Yes. I really think that being able to, I love an acronym because we can, I can easily recall that, you know, of like, yeah. cool, let me stop for a second. Am I acknowledging this thing? How am I interacting with it? Now, how can I challenge it? Like as a process to go through. Absolutely. Love that. I also, you know, you're saying so many of the words that like I feel like I shout from the rooftops around my own things that I care about, which are just like the ending of the things, the holding many truths simultaneously, the fact that there are the nuance in stuff and the specificity, you know, as artists or for me specifically, when I think about the art that I want to tell or I think about the art that resonates with me, it is the art that is really specific and it is the art that is showing nuance around a conversation around a community around a situation around you know um an environment that i haven't thought about in a specific way and then what it does is it's hopefully expanding the way that i see the world and interact with the world and therefore now i have even more nuance and specificity to go to for myself yes um and i think in this fear that you're naming that so many of us have for very, very valid reasons, you yes. know, it, it becomes scarier to actually in some ways be as specific because then perhaps there is the fear of in that specificity, you're actually making, you're taking a stance and then that does harm too. Yeah. Like I think, you know, it's kind of, it feels like a damned if you do and damned if you don't in some ways, like if we keep it really broad in general, then, then we're not really going to hurt anybody. But if we keep it really broad in general, then we're actually generalizing and we're arguably perpetuating stereotypes and we're yeah. not actually getting into the specifics of humanity. Um, I think it's those, the and, it's like, it's an improv thing. It's like, it's yes, and. and like, why are yes. we not, we know this we should. I mean, and we as actors should know better than anyone, yeah. but we just don't. Um, we yeah. so we so often don't leave room for the and, and it's yeah. hard. And that you know, 
um, I, I often say like, you know, EDI work isn't the same as activism. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, me, Kira, yes, I am an activist. Um, but activism is loud and we just say what's wrong and we, we point things out and EDI work is really quiet and behind the scenes mm-hmm. and understanding like, how do we implement change? How are we, how can we be heard? Um, on yeah. both sides and how do we bridge that divide to actually make that change like that work is quiet and hard um yeah. you're not going to see a picture on social media that shows you that work is happening um yeah. so it's like yes all these things are wrong and here's here are the people on the other side you know especially theaters like who are you know really drowning right now after covid and mm-hmm. trying to get things together and um you know they they they're afraid um, they're afraid of yeah. being called out of, you know, all of that. Um, well, so. also because we're living in a cancel culture right now Ooh. that is so quick to say, you messed up, you're done. Yes. And the lack of forgiveness around people who are perhaps trying the assumptions that are being made of ill intent, there were you know, it's also, we're not listening. I think that part too is like, we are also this industry in my like beautiful ideal utopia of it is like that is why most of us become artists in some capacity is because we want to listen to one another and learn from one another like in my brain that's like what an artist actually is right you know when somebody says like what oh so you're an actor this is like my i hate this line so much but and it's not it doesn't stem from anything cruel but it's like oh so you're an actor so how do i know you're not lying is have you ever gotten that no Oh God, Ooh, this I is hate like, that. yeah, it's like, well, how do I know you're not lying? It's like, actually, let me tell you what it actually means to be an actor. From my perspective is I am going to be the most truthful to you yes. always because that, that is my job yes. to show humanity and truth. True. If I'm lying, you're going to read through that in four seconds. And what kind of actor am I then? You're not going to believe that because I wouldn't believe that because that's not true. You know, like, but we're not listening <laughs> no. to one another. We're not like, and that is acting is reacting. Mm-hmm. It is listening. It is being, truly. To act is to be, like you are doing the thing. It is a doing. And to listen, we're missing these, I know you know, I'm just like preaching to the choir in this little small space here. But, you know, I think it's also just that. We're we're not listening. And this distinction, interestingly, from like the activism to the EDI, like the quiet versus the loud, I just, I wish none of it had volume. Mm. I wish we were just gauging it all from a place of connection. I wish it was a place of listening, a place of ands, a place of nuance, a place of specificity. And some people's brand of that might be louder and more social media heavy. And some people's might be behind closed doors and having these personal conversations. But really, when push comes to shove, it's not about the volume of it. It's how, how are you truthfully coming to it, trying very hard to acknowledge uh, implicit bias and, and, um, be graceful with oneself as well as others for when things will probably not go smoothly. Right, exactly. And oh, I love that you brought up cancel culture because I um I had had this like piece in my head for six months before I finally got it on paper. Mm-hmm. But I I wrote an article called Where Do All the Cancelled People Go? Oh. And uh yeah, and th- it was really um inspired by one of my first experiences. And one thing I'll just mention, I never I just don't name anyone ever um in my blogs. I just take case studies as case studies. Yeah. Um but I um was, you know, uh helping a theater who was in the middle of a crisis. Um 
and you know, an EDI crisis. And I saw firsthand what would have happened if no one had gone in and tried to help that company do better. Mm. Um, And, you know, there are a lot of the company messed up for sure. But like, People on social media, you know, we get into like dehumanizing and and, oh, God, yes. and blasting and and what it all comes back to for me, you know, when I did actually talk to some of these people who are doing the social media blasting, who were harmed, by the way, um, I said, "What's your what's your goal? What's what's mm-hmm. the long term?" You know, going back to like Jared's question of me, what is the goal? What what do we want done? Um, and really there was no goal. It was, I'm angry. I'm it's, it's from a place of trauma. Um, yeah. I, I want to burn them down and I get it again. I get it. However, where do those people go? If they're canceled, they don't go away. They might go yeah. away for a bit and then resurface. And when they do resurface, have they learned anything? Are they mm-hmm. going to be safer for people coming in later? Um, mm-hmm. that's my goal. Um, and that's not easy. But it's it's easier to to yell about injustice than it is to go in and make yeah. make space for those people to be better if they want to be, um, yeah. and that's I mean that's part of it. Um, we we if we if our long term goal is to make safer art spaces to make theater better in general, um, then we need to make space for people to learn. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in yeah. my work, make space to say, hey, you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. As yeah. long as your goals, your value, and your mission are to do better, then I will hold your hand and we will do better. Um, so really, it's that short-term work in the now while we work long-term because it's it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in this hour. No. Um, no. Yeah. What are some tools that you have found are helpful in rehearsal spaces um, for artists to use with higher ups in an institution, for institutional folks to use with their artists in the spaces, um, the groundwork that are maybe some tactics that can be employed for when and if harm is done um, or, um, you know, the chain of commands for when people need to speak up? Like, what are some of those things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my my long-term goal is to just make an EDI consultant, you know, a part of a show system as much as a stage manager is. Because, you know, my long-term answer to that question is I want a person in the room who can give and receive feedback in a kind and careful way um, so that actors have that resource so they don't have to go to their director who's in charge of, you know, hiring and firing Mm -hmm. them. Um, So, you know, I ask, um, you know, when I speak to like students, I say, you know, like when when you're hired, ask what kind of resources are available to you and for you Mm -hmm. on the project. Um, If there are no resources on a project, then I think, you know, it's, um, I I urge people to think both about what they need and how it might be received. Um, We, our goal is always to be heard. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, if we all kind of take a deep breath and approach things from a place of calm, um, we shouldn't have to be afraid to advocate for ourselves. Yeah. Um, I know often I, I'm speaking, speaking from the eye here and my experiences, you know, things can just seem so wrong sometimes that it's hard to not come at an ask from a place of anger. 
Um, yeah. But, you know, I try to just kind of, you know, in, an, in any acting or, or art environment, we're all coming together, you know, for a common purpose. Um, so really, if there's something that you need that you're not getting, taking that deep breath, coming from a very calm, even place um, and making your ask. Um, yeah, I mean, that's – I don't know if that answered yeah. your question fully. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I I actually love the idea of even bringing this up before it even your contract even begins as though it's part of your negotiation. Yes. Um, I think that's a very interesting offering that I haven't actually heard before as though you would still – you would ask for money, you would ask for transportation, yeah. and you would ask for emotional support while doing this. I think that feels so – revolutionary, even mm -hmm. though it shouldn't. But it is because, no, but you're thinking about the way in which you will be able to show up for this contract. And if you need these particular logistical resources, I imagine you would also need these emotional resources. And exactly. why not at least ask up front so that you know the expectations going into the room so that you can then protect yourself if there isn't somebody who is, you know, on staff to hold that every single rehearsal, or they aren't planning on bringing somebody in as like an mm -hmm. EDI, EDI consultant to be able to hold that process, then you can advocate on behalf of yourself preemptively of being like, cool, if you don't have this budget, I know this person, or if you don't have this, yeah. you know, available, how is it possible that I could then refer to this person and use them and involve that? Like, I love that as an offering. Yes, absolutely. So start before it even begins. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think, you know, people, I think of it very much again as like, um, okay, I'm doing a, um, a show where I have to do a sex scene. Like, do you yeah. have an intimacy consultant or an intimacy exactly. director involved? Um, exactly. Just getting ahead of it, right, and asking. Um, you know, I can't – I mean, there's so many shows I've done now where I'm just like, I can't imagine – them not having a, you know, a resource. Um, yeah. because, you know, we're talking about advocating, you know, like a lot of actors are not comfortable speaking any of their needs because, you know, there's this notion that we're replaceable. So it's not just Correct. like in any other industry where it's like, yeah, I'll just ask for a raise. Like we are, we are really undoing a lot of harmful, you know, like just baseline foundational, things. Found, yeah, foundational you. stuff. Exactly. So we're doing all of that and it's just, um, it's really difficult. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, just thinking about, um, okay. And I, I keep bringing up shows, you know, I'm just speaking personally, like, you know, being yeah. a black woman, but like, uh, doing the color purple, you know, um, and you're doing the color purple at a predominantly white institution for a predominantly white audience. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the first thing I went in and did was, uh, on a, on that project was, gather the cast and have a conversation about what does it mean to be black? Um, let's talk about the diversity among us, um, mm -hmm. you know, and just doing that work of like, how do we interact as a black cast with the idea of going to church? You know, for some, mm. some church was like foundational to their upbringing. And for some, it was really harmful and ostracized mm -hmm. them as like, you know, like a trans black person or a, or a mm -hmm. gay black person. Um, so, you know, just just being able to address, again, like those identity-based things at work within the system of a show and within the system of an arts organization and community, um, yeah. there is no one, you know, without an EDI consultant, there is no one with that job, solely with yeah. that job. Um, yeah. So, right, like that's just my goal is that there is um, – you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the work of making it so that there are consultants yeah. in every room. I really think that yeah. that's the answer. 
Are you willing to talk about the questions that you used with us when we were creating like our community guidelines? I'd love to. Um, I would love to unpack some of those things just Absolutely. so that people have that if they're creating it for themselves or if somebody, you know, does isn't able to, for whatever reason, hire an EDI consultant, but they want to at least start this foundationally with a smaller organization. What Yes. What do you kind of do? Yes, absolutely. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about is like how can I offer resources for, for companies who can't yet, you know, um, like ev everyone I've worked with, it's not in the budget yet. So I kind of yeah. go in and try to prove to them why they need to put it in the budget. Um, so yeah, for those, um, you know, just wanting to set up that, um, that you know, container um, of a yes. room, I always start my guidelines. And again, you know, people can do do their own do their own thing, but my own thing, my, you know, I like writing. I'm a, I'm a writer and creative person. So I start by asking, um, what are some words that people have that pop up for them around what, how they want to feel in the room? Um, what do they want their work environment to be like? What do they want this process to be like? Um, and that to you know, it kind of starts people just getting out of their heads and, you know, mm -hmm. Um, you know, one word is easier than just like diving into a really meaty conversation about EDI. Yeah. So, you know, I often hear things like collaborative, um, supportive, safe, brave, fun, um, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I just kind of get, get things going that way. I'll then usually lead the conversation into um, the category of expectations and just, you know, what are some expectations that we have as actors or as crew, stage management, and directors. Um, you know, that's something I didn't mention is that I do these guidelines with everyone in the room taking yeah. off their title. So it's really important that these that everyone just gets to speak as a human being at work rather than director yeah. speaking to actor. So the director on, you know, this project too, as much as anyone else says, you know, I have this expectation. Um, so that actors can say, well, I have this expectation as well. And then, right. you know, so, you know, for a, just a minor example, um, you know, actors may have an expectation of feeling um, unhurried. That's one I've heard a lot lately, like just feeling they have space and time to mm. breathe. And then, but that can't just exist on its own. We also have the expectation from leaders of, well, in order to create that environment for you, I need you to be prepared and I need you to try to be on time and I mm. need you to speak out and speak up when you have needs because um, we yeah. can't get ahead of anything if you don't um, speak up. So we, we put all those expectations together and that, that starts our room out you know, in a good place. And again, starting to build that trust. Um, and then the most important thing I ha um, end with usually is tools. Um, mm -hmm. So what are some tools that we want to put into the space for folks to use? So, um, you know, for example, if, um, you know, I mentioned if someone gets misgendered, how do we want to approach that? It's really mm -hmm. important to have tools at use because otherwise, again, we're up against that fear of what happens when I make a mistake. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm a horrible person. I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, no, no, no. If we have the tool of we're going to just correct quickly, say thank you and move on. Then we know. Then it's like, okay, we make that mistake. We have a tool. We know what to do. Um, yeah. We. What if tensions are really high and it's tech and and you just you know people are on stage like really stressed out. Someone said something mean. We have a tool that says let's take five 
it's again so simple but like giving actors directors anyone the the permission to just if you need five take five it's better that we take five minutes than someone has an explosion of anger on the yeah. stage um yeah. so those are just a few i mean there's so many um speaking in draft is a huge one we i it ends up on all of my documents um where it allows people to speak without a fully formed thought so again mm -hmm. thinking of like um you know, like a white person playing a racist character. Um, what are, how can they express, you know, their character's motivations, you know, without harming mm -hmm. their fellow actors? So we implement something like speaking in draft so that they can speak something and signify that, you know, um, it's not a fully formed thought and they welcome feedback. They're not speaking from a place of like, this is the right theme. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, those, you know, words that I mentioned in the beginning, I try to put into like a mission statement for the room that we can all rally around. And then again, yeah. feel like we as humans have intentionally created this environment within which to work. Um, yeah. And if you do that well, that holds the room. Yeah. Having experienced you do that in um, this rehearsal you know, period for the band's visit has, um, was really beautiful. And I think it did, it established, um, a foundation upon which we've all been able to work and come into the room mm -hmm. while the world has been the world and to hold all these things simultaneously. Um, I remember when our director came in and actually like read basically the synthesized mission statement that you created for us based off of all these things that we put into the room, it felt there was like a, there was a smile and an energy that people were like, oh, I was heard. Um, yeah, oh, there it is. We listened to one another, going back to that word. Like, oh, even if people will mess up, even if things will get derailed, even if tensions will get high, even if harm potentially is, is done, at least even for a little period of time, there was a moment of feeling seen and heard and responded to that has been more often than not um, not impossible. <laughs> so, yes, exactly. You know, yeah. and so we're talking incrementally here about change over hopefully a period of a long period of time that we want to look into the future. And if these small little building blocks are being made, then we are slowly getting there. It's right. hard because we all want it to be done now. We want it now, but it can't, but, you know, but like you just said, you said the magic words, like it all comes back to being seen, heard and valued, you know, like yeah. those, we all want those things. And um, we all deserve those things yes, too. Yes, yes. And, and are worthy of those things because we're simply human. Uh, like I, amen. That. Say it again. You know. Um, yeah, it's yes, that. Um, and I think that's the important thing, you know, no matter anyone's personal identity, again, like we're we're working together. We have agreed to create art together, you know. Um, and that's why my, you know, my approach is it has to be that bridge building because if we don't build connections, then we can't build trust, then we can't create this short-term and long-term environment where we give each other but the benefit of the doubt and where we let each yeah. other make mistakes and grow and learn. That's why, you know, like I I admire, you know, anyone trying to do this work. It's hard, but that's why I can't, I don't start my sessions with like, okay, check your privilege or, you know, yeah. this is white supremacy at work or, you know, like it, it, yes, yes. And the goal mm -hmm. is to bring people together. Um, and yeah. that really goes back to um, 
just connecting as humans, you know, like that's so much more important to me in this work than any of the diversity and inclusion certificates or programs out there. Um, it really yeah. is, yeah, foundational. Yeah. I know you probably can't answer this as shortly as you'd want us to, but maybe what are, going back to that initial question of what do you want us to do? <laughs> What are maybe like a couple things that we can do in this moment? Yes. Yes. Um, and do you mean we as like anyone listening to this? Sure. Keep it open. First and foremost, um, we need to start really thinking about creating conversations again. Um, and I know that sounds, you know, silly, like saying on a podcast, but um, this this is the work. This is the work, not social media. Um, a place where you can mm -hmm. look at people and hear people and engage. If you really, really, really care about something and you want to be heard, you know, just posting on social media is not going to cut it. It's, it's, we're not yeah. changing anyone's mind there. That's why I largely, I, you know, I share my resources there and I try to share my writing and engage with people as much as I can, but I don't post there anymore. Like I, yeah. I really, you know, when I see people, um, you know, they see some, so maybe they see a cast list or, or a collage of cast pictures that they, they don't see any diversity there. And, you know, instead of commenting on that picture and, and being angry, call the theater, you know, yeah. email the theater, ask, don't, don't assume anything. I, if you really want to learn, ask. Um, and I say this as a consultant working with many of the theaters, whenever something happens on social media, they call me and they say, what should I do? Mm -hmm. I tell them, tell them to please reach out with their feedback and they can get on the phone with the artistic director or the managing director and the EDI consultant and we can talk about it. Yeah. Not once in one and a half years has someone taken up that offer. Mm. So that is my large, the large thing on my heart right now is like, have the conversations. If you, if you really yeah. care, then, then talk about it because there are people who will make the change. Um, yeah. You know, there are those who who aren't there yet, but there are those who want to. Mm -hmm. um, and then secondly, um, I would encourage um, – I pulled this book out. This is just one of yes. the many, um, but everyone yeah. needs to read – I'm holding up Thanks for the Feedback by Douglas Stone and Sheila Heen. Um, one of the many books that I've found are actually the most useful as I now start thinking about training, um, you know, because I'm working on training – some folks to work with me so I'm not the only mm -hmm. consultant in the rooms and looking at training people at large. Um, it is really about having difficult conversations. Um, there is another book by the same authors called Difficult Conversations. Um, and giving and receiving feedback in a way where we can be heard and we can hear. It starts mm -hmm. there. Like I have learned very little from my um, diversity and inclusion training and learned more about this work from those kinds of books, um, yeah. books about mindfulness, books about connection, um, books by Brene Brown, you know, mm -hmm. just like, yeah. <laughs> uh, I try to bridge like Brene's work to theater and the arts, you know, and like, mm -hmm. it just seems like no one has really done that. Um, we have these foundational diversity, um, you know, hugely amazing books that teach us about the work of, you know, EDI or DEI or anti-racism or, you know, any of those. Mm -hmm. um, but that would be my suggestion is just like 
mindfulness, connection, feedback, conversations. Like let's start there and then we can do the work from a less activated place. I love it. Um, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm so grateful now to get to know you. I am excited to see how this is, your work is just going to really explode around um, this country um, as it already has. Um, and um, please know that it's it's already making differences, and that's really impactful. And um, I'm I'm so happy that you agreed to be on this podcast and share some of that with our listeners, um, because it it starts with all of us. You yeah. know, it's not just if you're employed and in a room and in a rehearsal space, or if you run a theater company and you're trying to create a season. Like it's not that. It takes a village and it takes a community and it takes all of us. Um, and it takes all of us to agree to want to actually try to change the systems that we have inherited that yes. are flawed. Yes. Um, Could not have said it better myself. And thank you. No, I thank you so much. I am, um, I'm so grateful and so honored that you had me. I'm so happy that I, you know, gotten to like know you on the process and here. Um, no, and just, yeah, thank you so much for creating this space for me too. Of course. For anybody who wants to work with you, for anybody who wants to hire you, for anybody who wants to take any of your programs or, read your stuff where and within your own best boundaries can people reach you <laughs> love that we love boundaries um oh, yeah. yes um so you can find me best at artandsoulconsulting.com so art and soul consulting spelled out um there you can schedule um an introductory consultation with me that's free um you can access my blog so i have all those you know the the writing i've done that's um there is also free to read. Um, and then I have a page where you can check out my services. So, you know, I work on, work on shows, I do coaching, I do workshops, I do audits, um, and, you know, long-term just looking to bring this work further and wider. And again, you know, just uh, bit, bit by bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, folks can find me there. I'm also, I'm on Instagram um, at Kira Troilo as well. Perfect. Um, thank you again. Thank you so much. If something in this episode resonated with you, and more importantly, if this podcast means something to you, it would mean the most to us if you would leave us a positive review. This means the most in podcast land and allows us to continue creating these episodes for you weekly. If you are not yet doing so, please follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artist Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, more on our website at empoweredartistcollective.com. If you are seeking some fun, cute merchandise, we have that link for you in the show notes. As always, I am so endlessly grateful that you keep on coming back, and we will be back again next week. Until then.